0: If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash slash app. Vision. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au.
1: Today with Jeff Fines, author, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word.
2: The events that I just described to you celebrates the recommitment and the rededication of the temple, the people of God.
1: Today with Jeff Fines. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill and last time on the show, Pastor Jeff started in James chapter 1, verse 12, unpacking this verse, "'Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials.'" Then Pastor Jeff continued to explain all about an event that happened around 200 BC, that's still significant in the Jewish and Christian world today. So let's get back into the message now to hear what this event is known as today and what it shows us about persevering
2: under trial. Raise your hand in your homes, wherever you're listening, watching. Raise your hand if you know what Hanukkah is. Hanukkah means dedication or rededication. Hanukkah is not the Jewish Christmas Hanukkah just happens to coincide around the time we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And today, Hanukkah, like Christmas, has been somewhat secularized. Just as our world and culture has removed Christ from Christmas, many, if not most Jews, have removed the centerpiece of Hanukkah from Hanukkah. In fact, a lot of Jews today who live in Israel have no knowledge concerning the deeper meaning behind Hanukkah, the real meaning behind this Jewish holiday. Because Hanukkah celebrates the story that I just told you, the events that I just described to you. That was the first Hanukkah, which is actually pronounced Hanukkah, and Hanukkah or Hanukkah is rededication, and the first Hanukkah was when they went back into the temple after the Greeks were pushed back and their army soundly defeated and they rededicated the temple. They recommitted themselves to the service of Yahweh and they refused to be tainted by a world that was corrupt. Now, just quickly, in the first Hanukkah, the people of God find the candlestick or the lamp stand. You've probably seen it. it's called a menorah. And this becomes the first Hanukkah menorah. Again, Hanukkah means rededication. They take the menorah, the candlestick, and they light all the candles. Everybody repents. They dedicate themselves back to the temple, to the service of Yahweh. Some people actually repent of their apostasy. Others renew their commitment to resist becoming tainted by the pagan practices of a godless culture designed to lead them away from God. And others commit themselves to sexual purity and practical righteousness that aligns with the precepts of Yahweh. Hanukkah celebrates the recommitment and the rededication of the temple, the people of God, where God miraculously spared his people from annihilation, the rededication of the temple, the celebration of a return to the reading of the word of God and a prayer and commitment to resist the world system that is anti-God. Unfortunately, like Christmas, most people celebrating Hanukkah today have no idea of its origination. Now, by the way, quickly, and then we'll go into the application. The original menorah was made of seven branches. It represented seven days of creation and new life. So in the early tabernacle, the priests would actually change the wicks every day because they never wanted the candles to blow out. This was eternity. It was nudist. It was a light that was never to be extinguished. And the lampstand was actually the only source of natural light anywhere in the tabernacle. And it was made, this beautiful menorah was made of a one, one piece. There's a big, one large piece of gold beaten into place, which is amazing. Again, having been lit, representing that God is the light of the world and God's word is the light of the world and God's people, they are the light of the world. Now, when you come to the Hanukkah menorah, it is not seven branches, it is nine branches, and people often ask why? Well, first of all, because anytime you rededicated or dedicated a temple in the the Old Testament, there were eight days associated with it. It's just a pattern, eight days, seven days plus one. But the menorah used to celebrate Hanukkah featured nine, four on each side, and then one that is in the middle that has to be higher than the other eight. And the reason it has to be higher is it represents the one great deliverer who would come, who would be the true light of the world. I find this ironic. And I remember, and I think I've mentioned this before, living in New Zealand. And every year they would have Christmas in the park and all these celebrities would come and they would sing these songs. I mean, you'd have thousands of people in in a huge park in the middle of the city singing Christ Jesus, the Lord. And I'm thinking, I'd look around and I remember thinking when I was younger, do they really know what they're saying or singing? Do they really know what Christmas is about? I am sure Hanukkah's the same way, that this candle, this menorah represents the Messiah that would one day come the light of the world, the true light of the world. And by the way, remember the lampstand was gold and gold always represented deity. And it was made of one piece beaten into place. That's amazing. And Messianic Jews today will tell you as they speak to present generations who are Jewish in an effort to convince them of Jesus, that he is actually the Messiah, the one that God had sent to save. They remind them that the menorah this gold representing deity beaten into one place is a prophecy that one day God, the ultimate deity would be broken and afflicted for the sins of the world. Now stay with me. You've done a great job. I want you to pull back in this idea of endurance because there's something else about Hanukkah. And I know a lot of you may not even know what it's about. And some of you might be saying, why are we talking about Hanukkah? That's Jewish. It may be Jewish, but it's directly tied to the Christian story as well. Without Hanukkah, there is no Christian story because there's no line of David. There's no house of David. There's no Messiah to come as a result of prophecy to the Israelites, to the people of God. But Hanukkah was also celebrated as a revelation concerning the end of time. It was believed that it foreshadows what's gonna happen in the end of time and how we, the people of God, are to respond. In fact, it prophesies how the real people of God will respond in the end times. So do I have your attention for a moment? Because I know many of you think we're there. And if you look out in the world politically, socially, you have to, you have to wonder, even I wonder, how close are we to those final days? Look at America and the West right now, we are warring against our own foundations. This is no longer a post-Christian nation. This is an anti-Christian nation along with much of Europe. We've gone far past or beyond unbelief. Now we are into anti-belief. And when you have that, you have a demonic force, Revelation 12, that is the power behind these governmental, social, political decisions. There are things happening in America right now that are far worse than whatever happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. You may have same sex relations in our day, promiscuity in our day, but you also have marriage and the celebration of these things, which you did not have in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we have both same sex relationships, same sex marriage, and the celebration. And the affirmation we're told as a culture that we are to affirm this kind of behavior is if what they're calling or God is called profane, they call sacred. And there's only one group of people who resist traditionally. It's the people of God. As culture continues down this path in the West and much of Europe and in the Americas, it begins to flip. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, that's a reference to Daniel chapter seven. We're told in the beautiful book of Daniel, there will be four beasts basically that represent four kingdoms that are to come after the days of Daniel. And the fourth beast is the most intricate beast. And in fact, there are so many details. We're told in verse 23 of chapter seven that the fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It's the last kingdom now before the coming of the Messiah. It will be different than all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. Now, how will it be different? Well, the Hebrew word is shana. Shana means to change the natural order. This beast will change the natural order of things. It won't just be a different God. It will be an anti-God. It will change the natural order of sex and manhood and womanhood and parenthood and childhood. That is the spirit of the Antichrist to change what is natural to make it unnatural, to call what is good evil and what has traditionally been understood to be evil as good. Think of the flip-flop. In our nation, in most of Europe, in just the last 50 years, Christians were once depicted, I know those of you who were born later than the 80s will be surprised at this, but Christians were actually once depicted in the media as the heroes of culture, as our role models. Character, integrity, honesty, loyalty in marriage, faithfulness in marriage in the midst of temptation used to be valued, you contrast that today with Christians. They are depicted as intellectually lacking, backwards, radical fundamentalists who stand in the way of progress and more importantly, in our culture, just as in the Greek culture, intolerant. Standing in the way of the galvanization of culture where everyone worships the same God and the God in the West is materialism, material and materialism. Now here's the problem. With the flipping of culture, Then you have laws that are passed to force everyone to line up with this flip-flop. Now calling what is evil, good, what is good, evil. And then after the laws are passed, the persecution comes. That is the pattern of Hanukkah. That is the pattern of the Antichrist. Think about it. You can speak against the church and Jesus, no problem. But you can't speak against homosexuality or gender identity. You can't speak against Krishna or Buddha or Muhammad, but you can speak against Jesus. Dan Cathy would have been regarded or treated as a hero in generations past. You know who that is? Founder of Chick-fil-A. And soon after he made this statement, he was treated as an enemy to the culture of tolerance. He simply made this statement. He said, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. That's all he said. He did not condemn anyone else. He did not throw mud or sling mud at any other part of the population. He simply said, my belief is that marriage is between a man and a woman. And he was shamed and canceled. This is the spirit of Antiochus. Intolerance disguised as tolerance. It is also the spirit of the Antichrist. You can believe anything you want as long as what, it's what the culture tells you to believe. And the shaming and canceling culture did not originate with us. It's as old as the days of Antiochus. Now the key in all of this is how how do we as Christians, followers of Jesus respond to all this? And this is important. Do we assimilate into culture? Do we separate and isolate ourselves from culture? Isolation cannot be the answer because you cannot be salt and light if you're hiding from everyone. If you're gathering together in your holy huddles and talking about how bad the world is, how on earth can you permeate culture when you're hiding from culture? According to the prophet Jeremiah, you're supposed to permeate culture while remaining distinctly the people of God. So you don't become like they do. You don't adopt their practices. You don't adopt their definitions of what is sacred and what is profane. Your truth is objective and it comes from the word of God. And the sobering reminder of Hanukkah, the, the, the warning is how much paganism has come into my life. Jonathan Kahn says, the things we see on television today, we could never have imagined 50 years ago. And yet he says, Christ's followers are entertained by it. They flock to it, they run to it. The progression has been well thought out. It's like the boiling frog. You know, you put the frog in the water and you raise the temperature slowly, and by the time he figures it out, it's too late. In the crucial areas of your life, to whom are you loyal? I mean, we don't have temple worship, but we do have the day of the Lord, the first day of the week, and the day of the Lord is the first day because it's the day on which Jesus rose from the dead. It's still sacred to us. What are your pursuits? What are you really after? Are you shunning? Are you shunning sexual immorality? Are you keeping yourself pure? Or are you allowing culture to dictate how you use your body, something that is the temple of God in a profane way? Are you avoiding adultery, pornography, same-sex relationships? These have been around from the beginning, folks. It's nothing new. All the way back to the days of Solomon, Gomorrah, and before... Have you allowed culture to reverse the natural order and are you following it? God told the Hebrews, be holy as I am holy and Jesus quoted that in the New Testament. Are you pursuing holiness? Not just getting by, not just towing the line, but running to the center of the will of God in every area of your life, realizing that you're not strong enough to straddle the fence to have one foot in the world of Antiochus and one foot in the world of Yahweh. Do you understand that Israel will never fit into this world? Do you also understand that Paul called Christians the spiritual Israel? That the world would constantly turn away from both Jew and Christian. And if we're able to live in this world with a certain level of of, of comfort, if we look around at the, at the way the society is going, the culture is going, and we see what is happening and we assimilate into it, if we have no problem with it, if we feel quite at home here in this world, if we're not gutted by what's happening around us, then something's wrong. Antiochus Epiphanes, do you know what he did? He set up a statue of Zeus in the temple and he made sure that Zeus looked a lot like him a God manifestation. He wanted the people to know that the government now determines what is good and what is evil. Culture determines what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, what is holy, what is profane. That is the spirit of Antiochus. That is the spirit of the world in which we live. It is the spirit of anti-God and anti-Christ. And the question is, please, I leave you with this dilemma. How do we respond And the answer is the same way those who gathered together and said, no way are we gonna bow down to those false idols. We're not gonna be swayed by impurity. We're not gonna allow them to redefine morality for us. We're gonna hold on to God and his ways no matter what it costs us. God will fight for us. We're gonna do the right thing no matter what the outcome. We may lose our jobs, we may lose our lives, we may lose our sons and daughters. We will not apostatize, we will not fall away. Do you know what Antiochus did? When he came into power and wanted to do away with the people of God, he burned the scrolls. It became a crime to read the Bible and to pray publicly. Does that sound familiar? First, it became unpopular culturally, and then it became a crime. And the historian says, any books of the law that came to light were torn up and burned. Whenever anyone was discovered possessing a copy of the covenant or practicing the law, the king condemned them to death. They warred against God. They warred against prayer. Does that sound familiar? But this is where Hanukkah helps us. The way the Maccabees endured was simple. And this is what I leave you with. Almost done. First, there was no compromise. They drew a line in the sand. They said, We can't compromise. We will not go along with this anymore. Enough is enough. We've been on the fringes long enough. We have to come together for strength and vitality and accountability. Eternity is at stake. Salvation is at stake. This means everything. That's it, man. No fooling around. And those who had apostatized repented and came back home and realized this was a matter of life and death. Billy Sunday was a famous baseball player, turned preacher, turned pastor, Christ follower. And he would run and walk rather through the streets of London, preaching the gospel. But it was a time when no one was listening. And a young girl came up to Billy Sunday and said, nobody's listening to you, Billy Sunday. If nobody's listening, why do you continue to shout? And he said, if I continue to shout, it's not so that I might change them, it's to keep them from changing me. The Maccabees said it doesn't matter that there are more of them than us. It doesn't matter that we're the minority. It doesn't matter that we're greatly outnumbered. What matters is we are with God and God is with us and they won. That is the lesson of Hanukkah, that we should never give up hope. No matter how outnumbered we are, if we hope to endure and make it into eternity with God, we must stand with him in his ways You have to choose culture or God. You can't have both. You must be strong and courageous. You gotta be aware of what's going on around you and not let the world suck you into its mold because it will. It's powerful. The flow is natural and powerful and you must be intentional and you must return to the word and to worship and community so the world does not change you. And we're told that they carried on the war joyfully the joy of the lord was their strength because they knew they were on the winning side so here's my challenge i think we as as christ followers should celebrate hanukkah with a twist first corinthians 6:19 do you not know your bodies are the temples of the holy spirit who is in you whom you have received from god will you rededicate the temple to god will you rededicate your temple to god and will you forsake all that profanes the temple of God? Will you return to the word of God as your primary reading, to prayer and meditation, as a non-negotiable, to confession and repentance and accountability and community? Will you shun evil in all of its forms? Will you say, I will not let this temple be swayed by a culture that is anti-Christ. I will not let this temple pursue what the world pursues. I will not be entertained. This temple will not be tainted and entertained by what the world is tainted by and entertained. I will I will not embrace in this temple immorality of any kind. I will be salt and light in this world. I will not assimilate, but I will not isolate. I will permeate this world with holiness and purity and love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor Jeff, why did you take me through all of that? Because that is the best way I can explain to you what James 1, 12 means. Blessed Happy is the one who perseveres, who endures under trial. The Greek word is philipsis, under pressure to conform to the world. Happy is he who does not conform to the world. And having stood the test, you've been tested now. What kingdom do you really have allegiance to? After you pass the test, that person will receive the crown of life, the Stephanos crown, the crown of victory that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. God help us all to keep our temples clean and to persevere that we may receive the crown of life.
1: Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials, who resists the pull of the world. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That is the end of that message. But join us again next time for another message from Pastor Jeff.
2: Here's the first contrast between a tenant living like a tenant and a tenant living like an owner. A tenant who lives like a tenant sees everything he or she has as a gift from God. Your food, your clothes, your house, even if it's a cardboard house, you're grateful.